Take a vow that is tested Like a covenant of old And your love is enduring Through the winter rain Beyond the horizon With mercy for today And faithful you have been And faithful you will be And yourself to me that's why I sing your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your
God, in this place you'll be praised. Your name will be lifted high. Lord, as we come before you, we, we thank you that I say it over and over again that no matter what we do in this life, that, that your promises are true, that you want to seek us, that you want a relationship with us. And Father, so we just declare our need for you. We love you and we sing your praise in this place.
together real quick. God, thank you that when we acknowledge our need for you, we can rest on the fact that you are the great I am. We can come to you and say, Lord, I, I need confidence. And you say, I am. I need healing. And you can say, I am. I need hope. And you say, I am. Lord, thank you that, that when we come to you, we know that you are going to meet our every need. We praise you for that, Lord Jesus, because we do need you. We are not good enough to save ourselves, but you gave your perfection to us. And we are so, so grateful. And you deserve our praise every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we just clap one more time for how good our God is? Guys, thank you so much for for being here today. You can have a seat, but before you do, find someone new, shake their hand, tell them what your favorite color is. Mine's blue. My favorite color is blue. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we are, we're so, we're so excited that you are here today uh, with us. Uh, If this is your first time ever uh, checking this out, we are, we're glad you're here. We're excited uh, that you are a part of today with us. Uh, My name is Eric. I get to be the pastor of student ministries here at Crossroads. Uh, What we're going to do right now is we're going to pass our friendship folders. We just want to know that you're here, uh, be able to pray for you uh, and whatever else uh, you might need. So go ahead and pass those while we're taking just a few minutes and letting you know some some exciting things uh, that are coming up before we jump into this this next week in our Nehemiah series, which by the way, if you guys have been here, hasn't the Nehemiah series been amazing? It really has. It's never too late to rebuild. I, I, I love, I've been challenged every week. If you've missed a week, you can go back on the website and watch them. They are super, super good. Um, so real quickly, the two things that I want to mention is um, if you are a parent of a fifth through 12th grader, um, we want to make sure that you stay connected. And so if you go to the, the church website, um, our groups are separated. So Route 56 is our fifth and sixth grade group. The ramp is our seventh and eighth grade group. And then Elevate is our high school group, nine through 12. So if you go to the student ministry page, you'll see those groups listed out there and you can sign up for updates uh, where you'll be able to get access to our calendar of events, uh, different types of news, celebrating what God is doing in it. So we'd love for you to stay connected in that way. Uh, so please, please do that. One of the big things we got coming up is uh, our camp this summer. Um, it's Student Life Mission Camp. It is going to be uh, amazing. I, I love this group. I love this team and what they do. Uh, and so it's going to be open to our incoming seventh graders and outgoing uh, 12th graders. And so if you are a parent or a student and you want to learn more about what that's going to look like, uh, all the details, we're going to go over that right after this service. So about 1215, right back here in this room. 
Come and check it out. Um, you can ask questions. Uh, I'll find the answers that I don't know. Uh, but it really is going to be something special. So make sure uh, that you stick around for just a few minutes afterwards uh, for that interest meeting. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, uh, and call the ushers forward now. Um, as we get ready to go back into this, this week in our, uh, in our Nehemiah series, um, I love the fact that we can all look back at different times in our life where we can see where God has taken something that we thought was broken for forever and he has restored it. And, and we have so much to be thankful for for that. So as we, as we receive our, our tithes and offerings, um, let's, let's do it with an attitude of gratitude. Uh, I learned that rhyme when I was a little, and that's, that's how it's hard to say gratitude without attitude because your attitude should be of gratitude, right? So let's have an attitude of gratitude as we give, um, as we thank God for what he's done in our life and the lives of others. So we'll pray and then we'll give. God, thank you for this morning. We thank you for bringing us here because I believe that the people that you have sitting in this room right now are the ones that you want here because you have something to tell them. Those that are joining us online, you have something you want to tell them. And so I just pray right now, God, that we would, um, that we would, that you would help us to take away anything that could be distracting us from being fully engaged into what your spirit has for us. Please use this time, use our tithes and offerings to expand your kingdom and to expand our faith. We love you. We thank you for loving us first. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. remember as a kid whenever you had those old tennis shoes and they got knots in them do you remember trying to get those knots out of those tennis shoes and uh you know you just get that knot tied up and uh, what we used to do as a kid you know your mom would tell you to get that knot out of your shoe and uh, the shoelace would get all stretched out and torn and pretty soon it's just knotted because you didn't want to take your shoe off you didn't want to be tied every day you just kind of slid it off and put it back on 
what we used to do as kids, we just cut the knot out, you know. Mom's, mom would tell you to get rid of the knot, you just go cut the knot out. Uh, if you untied it, it takes a lot of time, you know. I remember taking a fork to try and open up one of those. You ever do that? You know, it's just like your mom's telling you to untie it, you know, because shoelaces are so costly, you don't want to buy another one, right? And, uh, and that's just how it was. And I remember as a kid, what we would do with the, with the ones you couldn't get untied, you would, uh, you would tie them to the other shoe, you know? Then you'd throw them over that, over that wire, you know, the, the, the telephone wire out there, you know, throw it over the electric line. And, of course, I lived in Dormont, and I, we were up on the high side, so we'd just take and throw it out there, and you'd, you'd see that shoe hanging over the, over the line there. But, you know, as I was thinking about those days and when you cut that, as you cut it, you know, you, you, you keep cutting a knot out, and then pretty soon you have a few open holes on the shoe because the shoelace is just too short, and then it can't do what it's supposed to do, and then you've got to get a new shoelace, Right. I was thinking about our rebuilding process because as we're and you're building a new beginning, you're doing great things in your life, God's doing great things in your life, and then along comes conflict. And so what happens when conflict comes along, quite often there's a knot. So this knot is really hard to deal with. And as we start to untangle it pretty soon, you know, when you go to untangle a knot, man, as soon as I loosen one part, the other part gets, gets tighter. And so it's just real easy for us to just go and cut. And so we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 5 this morning. You can turn there. We'll also follow along on the screen. But if you have your Bible, feel free to please follow along. Nehemiah chapter 5, we're going to find out that he deals with conflict that, that he chose to untie versus cut. And I think many times in our life, we look at conflict, and just because we have a conflict, uh, we go right away to the easiest option. The easiest option is to cut. But here, we're going to find out this morning that he took as part of his rebuilding process, and he slowly untied the knot. So today, I want you to look with me about untying uh, versus cutting. Uh, You know, there are times that we deal with legitimate conflict. And when you deal with legitimate conflict, there are some times that we we just got to deal with it. But if you run away from it, it, you're you're cutting the knot. You just kind of cut it, and and you let it go. Um, last week, we talked about the threats. For the past couple of weeks, we looked at the threats from the outside. Uh, you know, there was legitimate threats. People were going to come after Nehemiah and the people of Israel because they heard that he was gaining ground. So that's a legitimate. First, they mocked him. He didn't let the mockery bother him. He kept going. Then the threats came, and the, uh, the pressure from the outside created problems on the inside. And today, we're going to look at just good old conflict on the inside. Because uh, that's what the enemy will do to us. If he can't trip you up by threats from the outside, can't get you with those, he's just going to cause a lot of unrest. He's going to cause a lot of uh, non-unity, not able to work through your relationships. And this, again, this happens in your family. This happens in your job. This happens in, in our church. It happens everywhere there's a human relationship. So this morning, I want you to think with me about, about untying versus cutting. Because if, we, if we're going to untie those knots, it's going to take some time. And the very first step that we're going to learn from Nehemiah this morning, Nehemiah chapter 5, we're going to learn this. And if you're taking notes, this is the first one to fill in, is to back up. When we have conflict, the very first step is to back up. Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 5 here. Nehemiah 5.1, about this time, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against the fellow Jews. They were saying, we have such large families, we need more food to survive. 
Others said, we have mortgaged our fields, vineyards, and homes to get food during the famine. And others said, we have had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy, and our children are just like theirs. Yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We have already sold some of our children, and we are helpless to do anything about it, for our fields and our vineyards are already mortgaged to others. When I heard these complaints, I was very angry. Remember, you're looking at the memoirs of Nehemiah, and Nehemiah is telling you, he says, listen, I, I had this anger to deal with, and, and, he, and he had this, you know, I'm sure there was a, a bit of rage that came with that. When you see something like this was going on, you say, well, what's the big deal? People don't get along all the time. Let me tell you what was the big deal here. They were charging interest. Verse 3 that said that they had mortgaged their fields. They're having to sell off their kids just to live to pay the tax. And, uh, and this morning, why is, he, why is he so angry? Why is he upset? Well, over in Deuteronomy 23, verse 20, they were instructed, the Jewish people were instructed, to, to your brother you shall not charge interest, that the Lord your God may bless you in all to which you set your hand to the land which you are entering to possess. He says, don't charge interest, that the Lord may bless you. How will the Lord bless them if they didn't charge interest? That was part of, part of their prescription of how God designed them to live. Uh, they, were, they were a family, and part of, the, part of this family, this, this, this Jewish nation, God said that they could charge the foreigners interest. It's kind of interesting. You go back and you read, they were allowed to charge the foreigners interest, uh, and they were allowed to lend and borrow amongst themselves, but you were not allowed to charge interest. So in other words, I could lend you something, but you would have to repay it, but not with interest. And so what was happening in this time of Nehemiah, they're building the wall, and there's a, you know, there's a tax on the people. The governor of that day, he's making a tax. Uh, and, and, and so we're going to see here in just a few moments as, as we move through the passage that actually Nehemiah ends up becoming the governor later on. But uh, in, that, in that time, they had to sell off everything. And, and they're, they're just trying to survive. And so these people are being mortgaged. And, and, and we look at it and we say, well, that's really no big deal. We pay a mortgage, Right. Um, he was angry, not because of the mortgage, but because they were disobeying God. And they were doing it at the expense of their own brothers. Uh, anger is something that we all have to deal with. You deal with it, I deal with it. There's not a person alive that doesn't. Some of us are more prone to anger than others. But uh, look what the scripture says about anger. Here's how to be angry. He says in Ephesians 4, 26, Paul told us, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down upon your wrath. Uh, you know what? When you, when you delay reconciliation, it always makes reconciliation harder. That's why he says, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. I want you to look at this. Nehemiah is angry. He's not hiding it, but yet he's not sinning with it. I have a problem. Whenever I get angry, I want to sin. Like hurt somebody, right? Don't you? I mean, that's what anger does, right? I, I want to I blow up. I want to I let off the steam. I want to let them know what I had to say. And I want to hurt. And that's what happens when we get angry. So the scripture says to be angry, but do not sin. You see, there's righteous indignation. There's things that we should be angry about. There's things right now happening in our country that we should be angry about, but we should not sin. 
You see, Nehemiah, he dealt with things. He went out and he says, listen, I have anger and I'm not hiding it, but I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to go hurt somebody over this. I'm not going to, uh, to, to humiliate anybody. I'm not going to go off and just blow up. First thing he does is he backs up. And by backing up, we see that this is the, the plan of how you and I can deal with conflict. You're building. You've started a new beginning, so you're building in your life. And uh, Nehemiah is, is dealing this. He's build, they're building walls. And I want you to remember this because as you're, as you're dealing, God's called us to a mission. He's given you a mission. He wants you to do something in your life. And as you come in and you deal with it, you're going to deal with opposition. You're going to deal with conflict. Conflict may be from outside. It may be from within. It may be your own family. Sometimes we deal with conflict in our church family. Sometimes we deal with conflict in your, in your vocation, in your own business, in your work. We are going to deal with conflict. But if we are going to untie versus cut, the first thing you have to do is you have to back up. And, uh, and the reason that you have to do that is because anger makes you bitter. Anger makes you bitter. Reconciliation will make you better. Anger will make you bitter. Reconciliation will make you better. You see, if I just have this anger and I say, well, the way I'm going to deal with it is I'm just going to cut that off and I'm done with that. Uh, that's okay. You, 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 can, you know, you can avoid somebody. You can have anger and you can avoid somebody for years. You may have anger at somebody that's no longer part of your life. They've moved away and you're still holding an anger towards them. They may not even know it. Well, you're bitter. You have to let that go. You have to come. You have to work through it. And that's why Paul says here, he says, to, to don't let the sun go down upon your anger. Because when, you, when the sun goes down upon your anger, it's like, it's like repressing this stuff. And as we repress it, it just, it just acts like a cancer. And it keeps eating away at us. Um, he says here, verse 7, After thinking it over, I spoke out against the nobles and the officials. And I told them, you are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. The very first step that he does is he backs up. He goes, after thinking it over. Um, the, the word there in Hebrew is like this. It, it's it's kind of like I've consulted myself. It was a word that was used when you got close to a king. And he says, you know, be like, when you get into close proximity to the king, you're going to get the king's counsel. So he says, after I've gotten in close proximity to myself, after I have consulted myself. In other words, after I have gone into deep thought and realized and come to my senses and looked at the situation. That's the first step. As we back up from conflict, first thing to do is back up. You know, I tell people, you, know, you need a 24-hour cool-down period. Anytime you have a problem, don't go fly off the handle. You need 24 hours to cool down. I have, uh, I have tried to make that a, a practice in my life. It really helps you in the community. It really helps you in your church. It helps you in your family. Whenever you take this 24-hour cool-down, say, I don't have to blow up. You know, I, I have found that I can be angry, but I don't have to blow up. I can be angry and sin not, right? Um, so, so he backed up. He has a legit reason to be angry, and he has a legit goal. The legitimate goal is he's building a wall. And so this is what happens in our life. You have a legitimate goal. You know, in our church, we have a legitimate goal. We are making disciples who will make disciples. We are bringing people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. 
So what happens in the church? We're building, and God's called us to build. And so as we're building, we're building people's lives. You know, we're, we're da- downstairs this morning. We're building young children's lives. We're, put, we're building walls around these kids that are protecting them uh, with, with Jesus Christ. We want them to understand who he is from a very young age. And, and we go down there, and there are people down there they are building, and they're laying block by block in a child's life. We have people come out on Wednesday night. Wednesday night, our teenagers gather, and uh, they're, out, they're at all different places. We have some of them are in the gym, some are at our our youth building down the road. And you know what? We have people that are giving up of their time and, and they walk in the door and they're building. They're building lives. And they say, you know what? Sometimes as you're building a life, it gets a little bit ugly. It gets a little bit messy. Sometimes there's conflicts that come in. And, and so I watch our people. They come in week in and week out. Why? Because they're building. It is so worth it. We have a goal. We're working towards what God has called us to do. And, and sometimes we get conflict that happens in the church. Sometimes there's a knot that gets in the way. And sometimes we, we, we forget that it's, you know, we're called to untie these knots, not just cut them. And it's just so easy to say, well, I just, I just won't talk to that person anymore, right? In the meantime, God's like, you know, you're going to spend eternity with those people. <laughs> you better learn how to figure out those knots, you know? I've always told people that, you know, you don't have to like me, but you get, you, we're going to the same heaven. I'll see you forever. So you might have to might have to, well, I'll be glorified by then, right? So, so it's like, you know, you have these knots. And we, we, have, to, we have to take these knots and we have to un, unravel them. And this is hard work, folks. It's painful. I would rather cut a knot. You know, the easiest thing to do is to cut. So as you're going through, as we're building in the church, we're building people's lives. And then we get, we get things get ugly and it gets hard tough and you, you know you pull on this part of the knot and then the other part gets tighter as you go through this process of of learning and growing <clears throat> i want to encourage you this morning to to be committed to the process because we're building legitimate anger listen we have legitimate conflict comes in the way there was a very good reason for him to be upset because the people were disobeying god he had legitimate anger but there was a legitimate building project going on and he said, we cannot stop building. So he backs up. First thing he does is back up. And by the way, he doesn't just repress it. When we repress anger, it's, it, it becomes like our little pet, you know? It's like, okay. And every time I go into that corner of my heart, I go and I, I have this pet anger. And it's like, I can, I can foster this. And what happens is you become bitter. And it, and it, and it ruins your relationships, uh, the next thing we see that he did was not only did he back up, but in verse 7, we see that he stood up. And I want to encourage you this morning uh, to stand up. So there comes a time that we back up. There comes a time to stand up. And look how he stands up here. He says, after thinking it over, after I backed up, I spoke out, verse 7, I spoke out against these nobles and officials. I told them, you are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. So he stands up. Folks, my first reaction is rarely the right reaction. (laughs) My first reaction is rarely the best reaction. He took the time, he backs up. He didn't repress it. He wasn't becoming passive. The next thing he does is he stands up. And as he stands up, he moves forward and he says, you are hurting your relatives. 
Uh, you are hurting your own relatives. You're charging interest. Look, this isn't what God called us to do. And you know what is at the very root? was selfishness. The root of many problems is selfishness. You'll find selfishness at the root of most problems in your life. You look at the things that you're struggling with, I bet you'll find selfishness. You'll find I at the center of it. You have a conflict with somebody else, you'll find a degree of selfishness on your part. You'll find a degree of selfishness on their part. Back to Deuteronomy 23.20, to your brothers you shall not charge interest. That way the Lord God may bless you. They thought they could do better than God. They said, well, you know, that's kind of old school, right? That's just the way it was. And that was back whenever we had everything. And, you know, look, the walls are torn down. And we don't really have a temple that we're worshiping at too well. And here we're trying to build the walls. And so they took matters into their own hands. And what does God say about when we take matters into our own hands? There's a way that seems right into a man. At the end, it leads to destruction. And I'm telling you, every time in my, in my life that I go my way, when I pick my own understanding, it, it leads to destruction. When you come back and you honor God. Now, this didn't make sense in their minds. Why wouldn't I just charge interest? Uh, you know, they were charging up to 12% interest. Could you imagine that? Some of you remember the days of 12% interest on a mortgage. I remember that. I think my first mortgage when I, when I bought my house uh, 25 years ago, was like 10%. And when it went down to 3%, we thought it was free money. I'll never forget, a friend of mine said, get as much of it as you can because you're never going to see it again, right? And it's like, wow, it, because it was such, a, such a, a difference from where we lived. These people were living under this 12% mortgages. They were living under this, under this taxation. It, it, was a, it was a horrible period of their, of their existence. But you know what? They did not understand God's plan. As a matter of fact, God had a plan. It was called the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years, uh, there would be this forgiveness. And they would just come and all, you know, if you had a debt, it would be forgiven in the year of Jubilee. And I've often thought as I read about the year of Jubilee, wouldn't that be cool? I'll get a 30-year mortgage three years before the year of Jubilee. That's my kind of mortgage, right? And just get that wiped clean. So it was for the nation of Israel, as they dealt with their family, there was to be this cleansing and forgiveness. And they were allowed to lend. They were allowed to borrow. They just weren't allowed to do this interest thing. They weren't allowed to hurt each other in that manner. And so as they did it, we see a couple things. They're selfishly disobeying the scripture. They said that we have our way. We know what God wants, and we know what we want. So we're going to do what we want. Because we're looking at our political scene, we're looking at our financial economic scene, and this makes most sense, not what God said. So he's upset. You're breaking God's law at the expense of your own family. You're breaking God's law. Don't treat family this way. Look at verse 8, he continues. He says, At the meeting I said to them, We are doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who have had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners. But you are selling them back into slavery again? How often must we redeem them? And they had nothing to say in their defense. So, so he comes at him and says, how, how, often, how often do we have to redeem them? You know what he's drawing on? He's drawing on the concept that the children of Israel had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And for 400 years, they, they, they couldn't wait to be released. So God comes and redeems them. They pra the, the people were still practicing Passover once a year. They celebrated this. 
The Jewish people still to this day celebrate Passover. It was a remembrance of when God led them out of Egypt. And so they remember how, the, how that, that death angel passed over their children. And they celebrate it. And, they, and, and it, was, it was a big deal to them. But here they are. They're out there. And they're saying, you know, we're selling our children now. And, and these people are charging interest. And it's killing these families. And, and so Nehemiah brings to them. He says, listen, God has redeemed us. He's brought us back. And you're, you're selling them into slavery again? What's wrong with you? And then they had nothing to say. In their defense, it was silence. And could you imagine? It was silence. They were selfish because of their purpose. Uh, They were selfish because of their purpose of God. They looked at their purpose that God had for them, and they were very selfish. This is what God wants over here. God wants us to live in harmony. God wants us to, to be this nation that would be called his people. And what they do, they went and they lived in selfishness. And boy, I'll tell you, I see this all over my life. I look at this and I see that, wow, we, deal, we divide over selfishness all the time. You know, how many times have you saying all to Jesus, I surrender, but I'm still mad at my mom. I'm still mad at my dad. All to Jesus, I surrender, but I can't follow you. I can't do what you said to do. All to Jesus, I surrender. In the meantime, we become like the children of Israel. We put ourselves, we say one thing, and we do another thing. And that's where they were at. Look at their response. They were silent. They had nothing to say in their defense. And that would be an easy place for him to stop. And, and you know, I, I look, as I'm reading, I'm saying, wow, this would be a great place to stop. He, he's got their attention. He made it right. But now he takes it a step further. He says, then I press further. Verse 9. Then I press further. What you are doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of God in order to, be, to avoid being mocked by every nation? He says, don't you remember God called us? So that we could be the light to all the other nations. And, and he says, you, what, this is not right. We've got to stop this. And don't you even fear God. Don't you even care that God is in the picture. You're, you're making your life's decisions. And you're not consulting God. I myself, verse 10, I myself as well as my brothers and my workers have been lending the people money and grain, but now let us stop this business of charging interest. You know what Nehemiah does next? He gets their attention, so he backed up. You know what? He's untying the knot. He backed up. And he's talked to, consulted himself. He's consulted with God. And now he stands up. And when he stood up, the next thing he did was he took the first step. You know what? Whenever you're dealing with conflict, take the next step. You take the first step. Don't come in with a conflict list of demands, and this conflict will be over as long as you do these things. (laughs) That's not conflict resolution. That's just another demand. That's called continuation of a fight. What Nehemiah did was he leaned in, and I want to encourage you, lean in as much as you can into the conflict. You're dealing with conflict. It could be conflict in a marriage. Lean in as far as you can. You know what? There's not too many hills to die on when it comes to a marriage. Not too many. I think you can pretty much surrender with the color of the carpet, the color of the car. What kind of car? You can surrender all kind of stuff. 
so that you can untie that knot and so that that there so that you have that relationship and you still have that relationship and you're still together oh that's big you know what happens in the church you have to lean in look look how he did here verse 10 he says i myself see he starts with i i myself as well and my brothers and my workers we've been lending people money we've been lending them great he says but let us you see what he did he leaned into the conversation let us stop charging interest let us stop charging interest let's stop this business of charging interest so he leaned in and as you're dealing with conflict this is this is some powerful stuff back up give yourself the 24-hour cooldown period maybe you need a week cooldown period sometimes i don't know you have to go through the cool-down period. You have to consult yourself. Come to your senses about the reality of the situation. Because in anger, most of the time, I'm pretty emotional. Most men are not emotional until they get angry. Then there's a side of emotion. Oh, they may not cry during the song service, but they can put their fist through a window or a wall. I've seen it happen. I've had to move a few pictures every now and then, you know. <laughs> you ever have to do that, guys? You know, you put your hand in the wall. And, oh, I guess some picture goes over here now, right? You know, that happens, right? We've had that happen places. Why? Because we didn't do the 24-hour cooldown. It's like, wow, we have, to, we have to have this cool down. And we have to back up. So as we back up, we take, we stand up. So we're not repressing. We're not passive about it. But then we take the first step. I myself... We're lending. We're doing what the scripture says. He, he didn't say that he was charging interest. He said that I'm lending. And he says, as we move forward, let us stop the business of interest. Verse 11. Then he t- this, is, this is where it gets really hard. He says, you must restore their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, the homes to them. Restore this this very day. And repay the interest you charged when you lent them money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. Listen, conflict changes when it's us. It's not management versus the workers. It's not me versus you. It's not us versus them. It's we. And whenever we lean in, see, you have to lean in. We own part of the responsibility. We own it. We're going to work together. And as we work together, it's no longer the island of me. It's the island of we. And we move forward together. So we see here he takes the first step. And he uses the word restore. You must restore their fields. It'd be one thing to stop charging interest. Now you want me to restore their fields and and you want me to repay you know, over in, the, uh, over in the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, uh, the, the apostle Paul admonishes us, he says, to restore a believer, somebody who's fallen. He says he wants you to restore them, not condemn them, to restore them. And the word restore there in the, in the, the, the original writing is a medical term. And it's this medical term, and it means it's like a doctor, when a doctor looks at a broken bone and he sets it. And what he does is he takes the broken bone, he sets it. Did you ever break a bone, you know? I remember when I was in high school, I was about 14 years old. I'll never forget, I, was, uh, I, was, I thought I was going to be an entrepreneur. Actually, actually, I was at 14 years old. I had my own snow shoveling business. 
And back in those days, it snowed a lot, not like these little three to 20-inch storms we get, you know? It's like it really snowed. And I remember going out, and I remember shoveling. And I went out, I was two blocks away from my house, and I remember shoveling the snow, and, I, and I, this lady, she had a, a, a piece of marble on the side of her house. I didn't know it was marble, so I went over, and I went to shovel it, and man, I went down. And I broke my ankle. And I had these boots, and this is just how we grew up. I don't know about you, but you never wanted to buy new boots because you only used them a couple months out of the year, right? So this boot was like two sizes too small. And, uh, and so I had to walk home on what I did not know was a broken ankle. And I am dragging my foot all the way home. And I'll never forget, they're like, oh, this is bad. You know, you're going to have to go to the doctor. So I go to the doctor, and the doctor looks at it. He goes, you know, most of the time when somebody breaks an ankle, I have to reset it. I'm like, and you hear all these horror stories. Anybody heard the terrible stories of having a bone reset? They're like, you know, parents are crying in the hallway. Their kids screaming. and sounds like the end of the world, right? Because it's painful. This bone needs to be reset so it can heal. And we put the bone back together, and then God does the healing. Well, as I went in, I'll never forget, I was so happy because the doctor said, it's a good thing your boots were too small because it kept your foot in place, and I don't have to reset it. Now, look, this was the word restore, was to set the bone in place so that God could do the healing. You know what we're called to do in the church and in our family? I can't heal relationships, and neither can you. But God can. And you know what God's called me to do? He's called you to do? is to just line it up. Let's put it in the right place. And as we put it in the right place, in humility, surrender, all those things that he teaches in his word, all of a sudden God begins to mend, and you get to rebuild your life. We're building, we're making disciples who will make disciples. You're building a family. Your family, the greatest disciples are the people that live at your house. You will, you will make a disciple there. Those people will go out and they will, they will be your disciples. They will be many yous. It's incredible. It's pretty scary. You get around Carice and you see so much of me. I'm sorry, Carice, you know. I love my daughter. But you know what? It's, it's amazing. It's like... Carice, how did you do that? You go around Carrie, you see Rhonda. And it's just like, wow, how did that happen? We make disciples. And so that happens physically, that happens spiritually, that happens emotionally, right? And so as we're healing, guess you may have some brokenness in your family. You may have some brokenness in the church, brokenness in your vocation, right? Here's what we do. We lay the relationship and we let God do the healing. And when God heals, now this is so cool because when a broken bone remends, when there's restoration, it's stronger. It's so powerful. So I want to encourage you today to, to be in the act not of cutting, but in the act of untying. Uh, you know, some people are quick to criticize instead of confront. You need to back up, get with God, get your heart right, then you need to stand up. Then you need to take the first step and lean in to the conflict. Some find joy in condemning. Some find it easier to cancel. Some will find it easier just to cut that relationship. 
But that is not how God wants his people to live. God did not call his people to just cut every relationship so that you'll be happy. You know, when we serve, when we serve in the church, here's what happens. God's called us to be unselfish. Because when we are serving in the church, God gave us all a gift. And as I'm studying and looking at the gifts in the scripture, he says that he gave us a gift not for you. It wasn't for your pleasure. Although you may find great pleasure when you're serving in your giftedness, right? But your gift that God gave you is to edify the body, to glorify God and edify the body. Wow. So what happens? We come into the church and we're working along and all of a sudden, I got a knot in my relationship, right? This was hard. This was painful. He said, she said, we got all that. That happens in every organization, right? And so you know what happens? It's easy for us to cut. Because selfishly, I don't need the hassle. Selfishly, that's too hard. Selfishly, I'm not having fun, right? And God says, it's not about your fun. It's not about your comfort. It's about you serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So I want to I challenge everyone in, in the room. You know, how has God gifted you? What has God given you for his honor and glory? I want to challenge you to use it for his honor and glory, whether it's here in the church, in our community, at your job tomorrow. Use it for his honor and glory. And don't think about comfort. We live in America. That's all we think about is comfort. You know, if I go and speak till 1245, I'll be here by myself. Because it messes with our comfort level, right? Although Dan, Deacon Dan would still be there, right? Um, if, it was, if, if it were 48 degrees in here, you wouldn't stay today, right? And so it's easy for us to adapt some of those comfort into our spiritual realm. And God says, listen, this isn't about your comfort. For the people of Israel, it wasn't about their comfort. He says, I want you, it's okay if you're going to lend and borrow, but you're not going to charge interest. And it's not about your comfort. It's not about how you're going to do better, how, how, you know, how many eggs are in your basket at the end of the story. It's about what I've called you to do. And you say, well, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to make sense. God said to do it. And when you do what God calls you to do, guess what? All of a sudden, it makes sense. All of a sudden, you say, wow, I can, I, now I can see what God was saying. Because it's so easy. And if we go through our life just cutting all the time, if we cut the relationships in your home, you'll never see the power of God. If you cut the relationships at the church, you cut the relationships in the community. You know, there are people in our community that need you to step in. They need you to be there and to show the love of God. And what do we do sometimes? We get mad. I've had that happen many times. Oh, there were people in our community. I started out with good, good intentions from praying for them. And then I got in and I was like, well, that guy's a real idiot. That guy's a jerk, right? You, you, come on, tell me you've never thought that way, right? Okay. I'm sorry, true confession up here, right? It's like, you're, you're like, well, that guy's a real jerk. And in the meantime, what ends up happening is I think about my comfort and I think about me, and all of a sudden I want to back off those relationships and start cutting. And I says, man, I got you out there. I died on the cross. I paid for your sin, and I've given you this, just like the people of Israel. I've given you this so that you will glorify me and bring all these people to me. And you're worried about, it was uncomfortable today? You're worried about the guy who mocked you? I see it all over Nehemiah. I'm looking at Nehemiah and I'm saying, this is my life. People mock me. They mock you. And and no matter what you do, there's going to be somebody mocking. There's going to be somebody conflicting. There's going to be somebody who's not following God. And so we step into into it. We lean into it. 
Um, he said this, he said, verse 13, he says, I shook out the folds of my robe and said, if you fail to keep your promise, may God shake you like this from your homes and from your property. They wore garments similar to this type of thing, the long flowing, and you could just see him. He says, listen, listen, may God shake you. I want you to be serious about your commitment. You've made a commitment to me, and may God shake you if you don't keep that commitment. You see, they called the priest, the nobles, verse 12. Let's go back to verse 12. I jumped over that. Verse 12, they said, we'll give back everything and demand nothing more from the people. We will do as you say. Then I called the priest and made the nobles and made the nobles and officials swear to do what they had promised. See, they took a vow and they took a vow before God. I solemnly swear to repay back everything that I charged interest on and to give it all back, right? So help me God at the end, right? And then they do that. And then he takes his robe. In the next verse, he says, listen, may you be like this. You made a commitment before God. May you be like this. You know why he's saying that? He says, may, you, may, your, may God shake you like that because this is serious stuff. We have made an agreement. So he steps into the, he steps into the problem. He leans in as much as he can. There were hills that he can die on and hills not to die on. This was not a hill to die on. I'm sorry, this was a hill that he had to die on. He had to say, we have to worship God. And so there were many other things. No doubt that, that, that Nehemiah found that there were lesser conflicts that, that he could deal with. This one needed a resolution. And as he comes to the resolution, the whole assembly responded, amen. And they praised the Lord and the people did as they promised. Could you say amen with me this morning? All right, now say it like, uh, like you're really excited. Amen. Say it like I ended on time. Amen. All right, there you go, all right? Now say it like God was speaking to you. Amen. All right, you see, that's what the congregation did there. These people had just repented. And he said, say amen. And they praised the Lord. Amen means so be it. Let it be. We agree. So be the word of the Lord. And so as they said that, they said amen, and they praised the Lord, which, by the way, praise is not just something you do in church for 15 minutes. It's not something you do while listening to Caleb on the radio. That's all part of it. But it's how you live, how you respond, how whenever they went back and they had to give the interest back, and they weren't grumpy. That's worship. And they worshiped God. And the whole assembly responded and they praised the Lord. And the people did as they promised. You know what Nehemiah did? He honored God even in conflict. I want to encourage you. Will you honor God even in conflict? You know, I have found that the most, most of the times whenever conflict arises, the last thing I'm thinking about is God. Yellow and honoring Him. I'm thinking about me. I'm thinking about me Myself and I. Not the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage you, when you go through conflict, because it's not if, it's when. In your family, in your church, in your vocation. In your play, where you play, where you have recreation. Think about the Father, the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit. Look here. He puts in parentheses in verse 14 and 15. He says, For the entire 12 years I was governor of Judah. Remember we said he was cupbearer? He goes out there, and as progress starts happening, the king of Persia elects him now to be the governor. King Artaxerxes makes him the governor. It wasn't by popular vote of the people. This had nothing to do with the people. This was a uh, Persia under the Persian rule. And so a thousand miles away, king of Persia hears what's going on. He said, hears that he's making progress. That's my cupbearer. I can trust him. I'm going to make him the king. I'm going to make him the governor. He's going to be the governor of Jerusalem. I'm going to give him the governor of that state. From, that, from the 12 years that I was governor of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of the king reign of, reign of Artaxerxes, neither I nor my officials drew on any of our official food allowance. He says, I didn't draw on the things that, that, that were rightfully mine. I could have. He says here, verse 15, the, gov- the former governors, in contrast, they laid heavy burdens on the people, demanding daily rations of food and wine, besides 40 pieces of silver. Either their assistants took advantage of the people, but because I feared God, I did not act that way. He says, because I feared God. You know what that is? That's the GPS. Because I feared God, I came right back. Because I feared God, I did not do this. Listen, he had, there was an issue here. He could do something that he, that it was rightfully his. He was the governor. Tax the people and take this food and feed 150 people every day. Uh, that's what he said he, he could do. It was rightfully his. But what he says is, because I feared God, I did not act that way. Folks, I hear people tell me over and over, well, I can do that. That's not a sin. And we sit here and we question sin. So help us, God, that we would sit here and have discussions on, is that a sin or not a sin? And not on, have I feared the Almighty God? Folks, this is what's happening in our country. We've lost the fear of God. The Christians in our land have got to stand up and say, we have fear of God. We do not have to sit here and question if something is right or wrong. And in your life, maybe there's some things. Listen, if you're questioning if it's right or wrong, it's probably wrong. And it's wrong for you. Stand up and say, man, God, I fear God. Do you know why my life has been able to do this for 40 years since I trusted Christ? 43 years ago, as a little seven-year-old kid downstairs, I trusted Christ. You know why I've been able to do that? Because of the fear of God. I keep coming back. Oh, I get off course. The fear of God is God's GPS. You'll hear God tell me all the time, recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. Right? Because I have my own way, and I know how to do it pretty good. Oh, sorry, God. Recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. And God says, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you to stop evaluating life by what you can see. And I'm going to teach you to walk by faith. I'm going to teach you to love me and to love me alone. And I want to call you today to live our life in the fear of the Lord. Not to be afraid of the Lord, but to have a respect and honor. Take a trip. Go 12 hours away from here without your GPS. And you'll have a fear of the GPS. God wants you to have a fear of the Lord and get right on to the Lord. 
says, I devoted myself to working on the wall and refused to acquire land. I required all of my servants to spend time working on the wall. I asked for nothing, even though I regularly fed 150 Jewish officials at my table, besides all the visitors from other lands. And he goes on, he talks about the provisions that he paid for himself. In uh, verse 18, the provisions I paid each day include one ox, six choice sheep or goats, large number of poultry. And he says, listen, I didn't ever tax the people because I didn't want to hurt the people. They carried a heavy burden enough. In verse 19, as he closes out the chapter, he says, remember, oh my God, all that I have done for these people. Remember what I have done and bless me. It doesn't say, and all the people were so happy I was the governor. He didn't do it for the praise of man. He doesn't pet in there and may one day I become great. He says, remember, oh Lord, I did this because of you. God, will you bless me? Nobody else has seen it. Nobody else really even knows that I didn't take what was rightfully mine. Nobody knows that I didn't keep doing that. Nobody knows that I kept giving. Nobody knows that I kept serving. Nobody knows. But Lord, will you remember me? Will you bless me? He was faithful in his worship. He was unselfish in his service. And this morning, as we close, I want to share this. D.L. Moody said this. He said, a holy life will produce the deepest impression. Lighthouses blow no horns. They only shine. What do you think about that? Oh, as a lighthouse, we're, still, we're called to be God's light. Oh, there's not many horns. It's not too fancy, is it? God's called us to shed light. And we go, we're out there and we shed that light as your God allows you to live a holy life. You keep coming back because of the fear of the Lord. All odds are against you. You keep coming back. Your GPS is the fear of the Lord. The beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 16, uh, Proverbs 9, says that uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom. If you'll go there, he says, just come back to me. And I want to encourage you today. Maybe there's some areas in your life that you have uh, some knots. Maybe in the building process of your life, in your family, your community, or your church. Let's not cut. Let's ask God to help us untie. Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I want to invite you to Jesus. He's the God of second chances. He's the God of 700 second chances. He's the God of thousands of second chances. I want to invite you to that God. He died on the cross. He paid for your sin. I invite you today to trust Jesus Christ. He died once for all forever for your sin. And he says, if you'll but trust me, if you will start there. You know, the greatest conflict was when Jesus had to go to the cross to pay for your soul. God had And he knew the conflict. We were at odds with him. But he took the first step. And he sent his son Jesus. He satisfied his holiness in his own son when he died on the cross and paid for your sin. So this morning, if you're here, you say, Pastor Ken, I need to start a relationship with Jesus. If that's you, I'm going to ask you just to pray with me.
just quietly before the Lord, pray something like this. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I've done wrong things. And I'm in need of a Savior. I believe that you died on the cross. You paid for my sin. And you came back to life again for me. I invite you into my heart right here and right now. Thank you for loving me. And for others in this place, what's that area that God's talking to you about untying? What is it that you need to untie versus cut? Maybe it's a relationship at home. Maybe it's something that you're hurting. Old conflict, you're going to have to lean into it. Doesn't mean it'll be the same as it always was, but it means you're going to work through it. And I want to invite you to give that to God. Give that name to God right now. And back up. And today, let's, let's make this. Let's be the people of God. Let's do what he said in his word. Let's fear God. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the people in this room here this morning that have just opened their hearts and trusted you as their personal Savior. God, the angels in heaven are rejoicing right now because many people in this room just opened their hearts. Praise be to God. Lord, I pray for our church family. Lord, we are people, we're just humans. We deal with conflict. We get tired. We get grumpy. We get selfish. But thanks be to God that you love us even when we're selfish. And you've given us hope that we don't have to live that way anymore. God, I ask that you'll do something great in this place. As our people get on fire for you. That they will live their life by the GPS of the fear of God. We love you, Lord. Amen. Let's all stand together today. I'd like to ask you to greet a few people around you as you are dismissed. God bless you. You are dismissed.